Yeah. So I go in for my MRI today. Oh, you go in today? Today at 515. So yeah. So we have to be on it, man. We have to be on it because I got to take a shower and walk through and then go in there and lie in that that cavity yeah. that beeps and groans and thumps and all that stuff. But maybe they're going to find out what's wrong with my ass. It's like a pre-casket, that enclosed thing. It's it's icky. What do they do for people who have, you know... Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia issues. Ding, 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 ding. Mm. Yeah, you, I guess so. Or maybe they put you out or they give you a little trank and ask somebody to pick you up. And why don't they just do that anyway? Because I, I don't mind. I zen out in that thing. It's so bonky, bonky, bonky. I know. It's again, it's sort of, it's weird. It's casket-like, but it's also like womb-like. You know, just that is sort of like what I, I have vivid memories of, of my mom carrying me. And that's what it sounded like. Mm. Oh, yeah. Kind of the whooshing. Yeah, the whooshing. But you've set me up perfectly for today's movie with your casket reference. Today's movie, classic, Harold and Maude. Yeah. Anything, words before I do my little, here's the intro, what, it's, what the movie's about. It'll be quick. Oh, little words about, no, there's so much to say. Uncertain. Just what do you think you're doing, dude? Uncertain. I can't think about that today. I'll think about that tomorrow. Uncertain. You can't handle the truth. Uncertain. You know how to whistle, don't you? You just put your lips together and blow. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Uncertain. Do you feel lucky? That's all. Uncertain. Come on up and see me sometime. Oh. Quick synopsis. Mm -hmm. Harold played by Bud Cord, is 20 years old. Some people say he's a teenager, but he looks 21 or two to me, but He's playing 20, and he's preoccupied with death, mostly his own. And he tortures his mother, who's mostly emotionally distant, with these elaborately staged deaths, again, his own. And in keeping with the death theme, he also enjoys attending funerals, which is where he meets Maud, played by Ruth Gordon, who is almost 80. She tells him this in the very first scene they have together, and she changes his life. I'll just leave it there right now. There is so much out there on this movie, but it does hold up, I think. It does hold up. Yeah, and I just love the the meet cute at the funeral. You know, that's just so, that was so cool. Yeah. Do you like that term though, meet cute? Oh, no I'm one really over does. that term, meet cute. What the hell? No, but that's what, because when you look at, or when I saw this, I saw the scaffolding and structure of so much 90s indie cinema. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even from like the beats, like, you know, like the meet cute kind of beat. I mean, this is sort of I, I had not seen it, it was just like if Wes Anderson has not seen this film at least 100 times, I'd be very shocked. Uh, oh, yeah. I see a lot of this in Wes Anderson's movies. Actually, Rushmore, it has a very kind of similar mood, that kind of like palpable melancholy that permeates everything and the quirkiness and, of course, pool shots. Right. Yeah. As yep. also The Graduate, right? It kind of reminded me of The Graduate and a bit like that, especially anything with a pool, right? But the Tannenbaums too. Totally. The script, there's like a lot of trivia and we don't need to go too deep into it, but did did you know that it was a senior thesis script by the author from UCLA? I did not know that. 
he had gotten a job as a pool boy slash child driver around her for the children of a producer. And he pitched it to the girls, the children, while he would drive them around. And they were like, oh, that's really great, Colin. And then they told their mom and the mom said, no, you got to make this a feature. And he was supposed to direct it himself. But I guess Paramount gave him a chance. It was Bob Evans, a producer. They gave him a chance to direct a few scenes and they were terrible. So then Hal Ashby came on board and he was 62 when this movie came out. He was the perfect director for it. He didn't want Elton John. Elton John was supposed to be uh, Harold. Oh okay. Yeah, now Sir Elton, right, would have been Harold and supplied the music, but allegedly he was too busy. But Hal Ashby only wanted Cat Stevens and was playing that music, which is the soundtrack and so evocative for me, being 65. It was like the first record I ever would lie on my bed and listen to over and over again. It's the Harold and Mott soundtrack? Yeah. Well, not, not the Harold and it didn't come out as a soundtrack forever, but Cat Stevens, T for the Tillerman, the, the album, the LP. Okay. And but anyway, Hal Ashby only wanted Cat Stevens and he fought all the the establishment for all the stuff that Paramount wanted him to do and Oh, I'm sure. And it came out at Christmas because the Godfather wasn't ready, so they brought it out at Christmas with no marketing. No marketing, and Variety said it was about as much fun as a burning orphanage. Yeah, it, I was I was shocked to see how poorly it was received, not only critically, but also at the box office. And I, I had read like the year I saw it, which was 1983, is the first year, according to Wikipedia, that says that Harold and Maude turned a profit. Exactly. So, yes. I mean, so it's so weird because it's so baked into my DNA that this is a, a classic, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, and it took 11 years, 12 years. Yeah. And you're talking about the sort of circuitous or the the strange way it got to the screen. I'm just like, what was this pitch meeting? Right. Like when you're just watching it, it just so it just seems like at every turn, this must have been a hard sell. Like, I'm so surprised they were like, hey, Not really, there's a variety article now 50 years after. And that's the one I read. And it said that Bob Evans read the script at Paramount and, you know, what he was responsible for in terms of all the movies that got made. And he wrote the book, The Kid Stays in the Picture, which is a really great story about growing up in Hollywood. But he loved the script instantly and added it to the slate. And then the problems began with the supervision and, you know, it was dark and right. this kind of thing. But it it's the most uplifting story about death I've ever seen. Maybe The Loved One, the Evelyn Waugh book. Great story. Have you ever read that? Evelyn Waugh had a wife named Evelyn. I knew that. I did not know that. Huh. Evelyn and, and so Evelyn? They would refer to themselves as she, Evelyn, and he, Evelyn. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's hilarious. I have to look that up. It's really vital to this discussion. It is. It's it's vital. Um, One thing I absolutely appreciated so much watching this movie is Maude, Ruth Gordon, Ruth Gordon, her character is a Holocaust survivor. And there's a scene where we see the tattoo on her left arm. Nothing is made of it. We see we see Harold see the tattoo and we see him love her even more yep. for it. And no mention is made of it. And you understand why Maude has such, such a zest for life. She survived. Maybe she didn't think she should have survived. And anyway, they just make such a great pair. I think, you know, a lot of people probably had problems. Perhaps older men had problems with the older woman, young man relationship. Sure. So much was made of 
of that. Right. Especially the priest character who does that very Kubrick-like rant at the end about how disgusted he is of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, getting into our, our scales that we use, the puck scale, possibly upsetting criteria. I mean, it you... really depends how you look at it, because on the surface, this could be one 90 minute trigger, right? Because that's yeah. I mean, it's just grappling with with death and it's grappling with funerals. Yeah, there's funerals. There's, you know, the, the mother son relationship is is very comically strained. Uh, there's all sorts of things yeah. that could snag you, which is another thing when you're saying about how how wonderful the script was. I mean, as I was watching it, I was just thinking about how little dialogue there is, yeah. which, again, kind of feeds that feeling for me of like vintage 90s indie. It's just like beautiful shots that say and like your your anecdote about the tattoo is another, you know, it's like in um, less gifted hands that would have been overdone or clumsy. Very heavy handed. Yeah. But everything is just so elegant. And like, yeah, I would love, I, I think I will make it a point to seek out the script because I would love to see yeah. the architecture of it. Yeah. I just, I could imagine so many movies getting made today where that particular moment would have been talked to death by the executives and somebody would have said, no, he has to ask her, were you in the Holocaust? No, this would have been focused you know, to death. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm in the camp thinking this movie would not get made today. Yes. Yeah. Like how? You think? I, I don't think. It, I mean, like what I keep bringing up. Totally indie, yeah. Yeah, like, like Wes Anderson or something, but it would still, it would still have to be, it, I don't think it would cut as deep. I don't think it would be allowed to. I think the discomfort of some of it, I, I think that lesser hands wouldn't know how to handle the material. Like there's that iconic afterglow scene mm -hmm. after they consummate their relationship that's just so beautifully done it's a, it's just all you need to know is right there it's it's tasteful yeah. but it's not you know shirking anything right nope. and this is probably it's my favorite, but my favorite bud court role i'll have to say oh yeah i don't absolutely i can't even think of another bud court role personally i mean i know mm. i've seen him in stuff yeah and also how and how unfair is it that hal ashby did this and being there I mean, being there, shampoo. Yeah, exactly. It's like he owned that decade. Yeah, yeah. He's just real counterculture. He didn't get enough credit, I didn't think. But yeah. from what this Variety article said, Peter Bart is quoted and a few other people were involved, just that he fought for every moment in that movie. And he was a 62-year-old guy who knew about death right. at that point. He right. knew what he was yeah. trying to say about Living your best life. Yeah, probably things he was grappling himself with. And I think it's just great, like, a, like approaching these themes through the lens of youth in a way is just beautifully done, beautifully handled. Yeah. Like you never for once, like that's another thing is like her casting, like she is so effervescent and just totally adorable and not in that like, oh, look, that little old lady way. No, she just is vivacious. And um, you totally can understand why someone would be just completely smitten with her. Mm -hmm. Especially someone as lost as Harold. Yeah. Yes. Who had some mother issues, clearly. Had some mother issues. And his mother, extremely emotionally distant and Maud so emotionally available. Right. Vivian Pickles, right? That's the, the mother. Wonderful name. 
Yes. And she's British, I think. A woman that I took an acting class from once, Ellen Gear, was the third date. Uh, Sunshine. Sunshine. The character. Ellen Gear is the son, daughter of. The Harry Carey date? Yes. 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 She got into his whole. Uh, yeah. Thing. She's wonderful. She was, like, I, again, the supporting cast is so wonderful. And I thought she was especially good. That whole scene, how like he's trying to freak her out and it's like, like, what's Harry Carey? Like, I'll show you. And then she's just all in. And I didn't catch this, but apparently Tom Skerritt yes. is the motorcycle. Yeah, and uncredited. I watched because I saw him. It's like, clearly, because he's had that mustache probably since birth, right? And so it's like, yes. oh, it's Tom Skerritt. And then in the credits, he goes by another name. I have no idea why. Yeah, he came on as a friend of one of the producers at the last minute. And there was a possible problem or disaster that was averted when the previous motorcycle cop rode off with the kickstand still down. Oh. Well, you know, there's, like I said, there's a lot of trivia out there. Um, Apparently, you're just a part of it. This is wonderful. I mean, I don't know, you know, in this, in the process of doing this show, what's going to be interesting to people? It, the thing has to speak for itself. All this trivia is just backstory and it is interesting once you've seen the movie, but the movie has to work on its own. And I say it works. Oh, and I think it's like my personal experience with this movie is I saw it in high school because, you know, different times, right? It was, you know, and mm -hmm. see, I think we saw, was it The Exorcist or something? I mean, we just like, you know, anyway, you would see all sorts of stuff in school. And for some reason, I'm not even sure what the class was that would provide a proper context for seeing Harold and Maude. But I remember seeing this in school. Wow. And it hitting a certain a different way. And I was very, I mean, I was very Harold Chasen at the time. I think I even had the same hair. Yeah. Oh, hair. So, yeah. So, I, But then watching it, and I've watched it a couple times, but it's been a while. For some reason, I just, I, it felt, I want to say like, you know, criterion worthy perfection. Like it just seemed like I, I don't know what you would change. Yeah. And, and so many movies that came out that like The Godfather came out, what, six months after this. So there was this period of time, so many great movies that were so different. A Clockwork Orange. Really different movies. French Connection. Last Picture Show, and then Shaft. Yeah. So, like, what a great year, right? Yeah, you you can't complain about the lack of variety. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could. I love it. Dick, right? And now a word from our sponsor. They say you gotta look at your feet. Now, you don't want to look at my feet. Believe me, I need a pedicure bad. And the bunions? <laughs> But the feet are what can cause pain in the rest of the body. There's a reason why horse people, that's people who work with horses, not some kind of sci-fi Bojack Horseman kind of a thing, but there's a reason why horse people say, no foot, no horse. And then I guess they sometimes shoot the horse. But the point is, if your feet are a mess, it can mess up your body, so you gotta fix your feet. That's why I'm so glad to tell you about Pad Perfect. They're like a medical marvel with LED sensors that detect where your tiniest, tenderest trigger points are and send healing radio waves up through your ankles to the places in your tired body that hurt. Like I said, hurt because of your freaking feet. So they don't hurt anymore. Pad Perfect. Perfect pads for imperfect feet. This message is brought to you by Uncertain Age and UncertainAgeFilms.com. Casting believability. 
there was nobody that jumped out to me that wasn't cast well. No, I have. Okay, so Ruth Gordon was 75 when she filmed this. And Bud Court is right now 75, which I found interesting that he right now is the same age as Ruth was when they filmed this movie. So she was playing slightly older, right? Her character, as you said, was 79 going on 80. And I guess he was 23 when filming. So that makes sense. You know, a young looking, you know, like you said, he yeah. his character is probably 19 or 20. Definitely on the precipice yeah. of becoming an adult. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, if you have missed Harold and Maude, you can rent it. If you're in a city that has a DVD store, <laughs> I saw it on Blu-ray. And it's available for streaming and moves around occasionally. I think you can get on YouTube, right? Where did you watch it? I watched it on Canopy with a K. Yeah. Yeah. The great free source for movies. Yeah. Everyone out there, if you have your lo- local library, you can get a Canopy men- membership and you can watch movies. And you can't can't watch unlimited amounts of movies. I think you, what, do you get three a month? I think 10 a month is 10 what a I, month. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. And yeah. But it's not a given that your local library will be able to do this, but it's definitely worth checking out. And they have a very... You know, as you would expect, a library-like collection of, you know, must-sees, I would say. Yeah, and, and this is one that if there's a revival house in your neighborhood, oh, this yeah. is one to go see with some people, too, because it resonates with anyone who feels like they don't belong because mm-hmm. they're both kind of misfits. And, and they're the people who made this movie a cult classic. It's, it's called the first cult film. Even though El Topo came out before that and some other films, people have called this the cult classic and it was brought into profitability by the misfits and the people who felt like they didn't belong because Harold doesn't feel like he belongs. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. I also say, you know, I keep bringing up Wes Anderson just mainly for style. Not really for like West does not cut as deep as this, but also I, I there was some moments like when their their date in the wrecking yard, mm-hmm. there was definitely elements of Garden State. So I feel like a lot of filmmakers, a lot of indie filmmakers, were influenced by this or or trying to recreate some of the energy on their own terms. Yeah, because I believe that as artists, young filmmakers also may feel like they don't belong, like their points of view of the world don't fit with the the larger socio-dynamic that's going on. So to, to see a film that kind of championed alternative thinking mm-hmm. is very um, moving and it's and it stays with you that you know we we are we are different. We shouldn't be putting everybody in boxes and I don't know, it's liberating. It's liber it's a liberating film. Well, and also the, you know, the subject of death and how those who are perhaps closer to death know its true value, while those that are younger are still kind of grappling with it as an abstraction, because maybe they still sort of have this sense of immortality about them, but they want to play with these themes. And I, I thought the film did an excellent job of kind of showcasing those, both those points on the, the you know, arc of life yeah, and how you view the experience. And it just also just so sweet that these two people, these two mindsets, these two generations can uh, share deep, meaningful time. And even the ending is great, which I'm not going to spoil for anyone who hasn't seen it. But yeah, we can't we can't spoil it. Yeah, satisfying. But, you know, it's like it landed well. And shouldn't trigger. Shouldn't be a PUC. 
it's not a violation of the puck index. No, I wouldn't say so. No. And I don't know if there's anything about like the gen like if there was a gender reversed version, it wouldn't quite be Lolita, but it just would be weird. And I'm just trying to kind of grapple with just that it's a very precarious balance that this movie happens to achieve. Yes. It's it's not sexual. It's not overtly sexual. But I think we talked about this French movie that I just saw, which is probably not related to this podcast, but Belle, La Belle Noiseuse, the Rivette one, mm-hmm. where Michel Piccoli is the artist and he's physically taking the naked Emmanuel Bert's arms and legs and thrusting them into positions. And he's not looking at her breasts or her bush or anything. It's so asexual. He's right. trying to get her into these positions. So if the older guy was torn, not he, thing, the thing is the older guy, if he had a zest for life, like Maude did, I don't know if it'd be hilarious if Bud Court could pull that role <laughs> off the male Maude. Right, right. And then the younger woman was a uh, sort of, I don't know. Um, Who would be like a spooky outcast, like not someone who's too glam at all, but. Probably no one we know. Probably be an unknown kind of person like a Christina Ricci with is a little girl. Right. With glasses and. Yeah, just sort of something. and out of step with what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. And and I feel like I'd feel like now if somebody made it, they'd have to use drugs. They'd have to put drugs in it. That'd be boring. They'd have to put like, how, how so? Like, like addiction, you know, that that the Bud Court character in 2020 might have some opioid addiction rather than okay. these extravagant ways of killing himself. It's just the time we live in and the time that was then. Not that there weren't drugs to be to, uh, to be abused at that time. Oh, I heard that there were drugs in the 60s and early 70s. Oh, completely. Yeah. Rue, that's enough. Rue. Clearly, she has her opinions about Bud Court playing the mod role. Was she ever like a drug-sniffing dog in a other life? Maybe just the subject just triggers her. That's possible. Rue, mm. get him. Get him. Get him. Who is it? Get him. Anyway. Okay, so on to the things that we really haven't locked in yet, like the segments of what groovy thing did you find this week? Anything dis- that you discovered that you want to share with everybody? Anything that I discovered. Or with me. Or with you. Yeah. Um, gosh, the weeks go by so quickly and they're so <laughs> relatively uneventful. Well, I'm trying to learn Portuguese. <gasps> so I got, yeah. Oi. So I, I just started. Babel. Um, so I have to remind myself. Babel. B a b b e l. Is it is it a good one? Because there's that, and there's uh, Duolinga, is another brand. Uh, oh, I thought Duolita. That's a singer. No wonder. So I know I don't know Portuguese, but I know a lot of like dance pop right now. Okay. For some reason, it kind of registered high when I was doing some research, and it's it's fine. No, I like the the level of interactions, but you know, I always harbor. Secret dreams of retiring retiring abroad. To Portugal? I guess they don't want us anymore. There are too many Americans that went there. Yeah, this Portugal is pretty popular now. But I'm I'm still, I'm going to stick with it and see. But yeah, so I'm starting that. And that's kind of, because I, I do not have a brain for languages. I mean, I'm still, English is still a work in progress for me. But yeah, I've never been able to really, I don't know, attach to like another language. So this will be a good mental, older person exercise 
however it pans out. And my thing is a podcast, true crime podcast about, and you you made me think of it because of Portugal. Um, it's the European cocaine trade. It's called Gateway. Mm. Cocaine, murder, and dirty money, and it's 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 the moving of the Colombian drug trade to Europe from America, and it's it's it's, uh, it's good. That sounds fascinating. Gateway. Yeah, you had cocaine. Gateway, cocaine, murder, and dirty money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So uh, I guess I guess that's kind of it. Oh, there was another thing about Harold and Maude, and I'm just gonna. Sorry, I'm just, but. I, I'm sure many movies have done this before, but I feel like he broke the fourth wall in just a, a moment. There seemed like the one scene where he looked at the camera and I just didn't, I was like, oh, that's sort of an early version of that. If I saw it correctly. The intimate scene, which scene? No, not the intimate scene. God, I don't even know. I wish I had written it down, but there was something, I think it was like right after the, the immolation date, you know, where he's pretending to set himself. Uh. Um, I think it was in that. I didn't get that. And that would have blown it for me, actually. It was so subtle. Like, clearly, I'm, I'm, it was, I was looking to you to see, like, did I see that? Or was it just him looking slightly off camera? But yeah, it was, it was an odd little moment. But I was because I was just so ready to think of, like, how, you know, how many things did this film invent? Yeah, I, I can't answer that. But I didn't note any, any moment where he broke the fourth wall, Bud or Maude. And I would have thought Hal would have caught it. Sure. Said, Don't look at the lens. Right. Maybe our listeners if might have something to say about this. Yes. And when we get our website, we will offer you an opportunity to send in comments and to tell us what movies you would like to hear about before you go out and rent them or stream them. Movies that are, you know, fit in the wheelhouse of either starring people over 50, being directed by people over 50, or aimed at people over 50 that are aware of our demographic. And that kind of gets us into why the hell are we doing this podcast? Right. So let me start that again. Why are we, why, why, why are we doing this, Dale? Why are we doing this podcast? What's the point? I'm sure we're both coming at this from different angles. I mean, you definitely have a very rich... I'm a w- woman. You are. So I, I almost immediately noticed, but also just your, your career, you know, and having to navigate an insanely youth oriented industry from, you know, from the inside. And, and me, I think it's like everything that I'm interested in, be it music or movies, even books as a, a, a children's book author, um, it's hard to escape just the almost suffocating devotion to youth, and which is fine, but it does seem to come at the expense of older viewpoints. And our, our whole society just seems to be worshiping at the altar of of youth and discounting all the all the older voices that could make this experience so much more meaningful. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's fine. Now, maybe I thought it was fine when I was young, so I sound like sour grapes. But (laughs) the reason it's not fine, the reason it's not fine is that we live in this very commercialized society and young people are trying to, you know, get ahead and move to the next level and become adults, get married, possibly have children, possibly have careers, possibly. Their their dreams are different than dreams of people like 
like us. But that doesn't mean older people don't still have dreams, which is one of the reasons I wanted to to have do this. Is your dog there? No, no. Well, my dog, I have two dogs here, but I was just I I was trying I was clearing my throat, but I didn't want to make a big scene about it. But apparently that ship. <laughs> so it's that younger people, I think their brains are more malleable. Their bones are definitely more malleable, but they are more susceptible to sales pitches and to this is the thing you need to to get you to the next level. You live a certain duration on the planet and you start to see, you know, I know that that new handbag is not going to make me happy. Right. Whereas when I was 20, I really thought that new handbag just might make my life better in every way. So it's a it's a weird thing. And so I think we can talk to young people and say, don't be fooled. But I want to do this because I wanted a, a podcast for me, for, for the projects, for, for the films and possibly television shows, if we ever get into that, that I would want to see as an older person. Because I loved the movies I saw when I was a kid, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Clueless, etc. But I don't need to watch those again. I want to watch movies that are like Clueless and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but that are made for my age group, mm -hmm. like Harold and Maude, not all these films that are about young people dealing with the death of their grandparents or their death of their mothers. I mean, why do they have to be depressing? Right. And where older people are just sort of like, if they're, you know, acknowledged at all, it's just sort of like set decoration. There's no real meaning or an interpersonal experience, you know, in these characters. They're all there to kind of support the the youthful energy that's coursing through a lot of these projects. The youthful energy coursing through the projects and the youthful point of view of the children in the stories who are, who are dealing with adults. Right. Not the adult's point of view necessarily. Yeah. And I feel like it's sort of a, a self-perpetuating cycle of assumption. And I'm hoping that you know, the shakeup, I think we talked about this before, but like the shakeup of, you know, pandemic and streaming, I think has changed, hopefully, how the industry views um, what it's producing, just that there is more of a market for so-called niche films for older people, that, you know, something that's of high quality will find an audience regardless. But I do feel like, I just feel like there's an assumption, like, I, I feel like, the industry is saying like, well, only young people like X, Y, Z. And that's because they only make that. So it's kind of like a, a dog or two dogs, as I have, chasing its tail. And I just think there's, I, I think it's not only a disservice to older people who want to see representation, but also to younger people. It's very condescending, right? To only have these sort of frivolous youth-centric films and just assume that they wouldn't find stories uh, featuring older people interesting. Yeah, like a, a, a series that does well re representing young and old is, funnily enough, I think the the Ocean's Eleven, mm. 12 and 13 series, because there are the older characters in there, you know, Elliot Gould and, and um, was it Alan Arkin, I think was in one of them. But the older perspective is valued by the younger mm. perpetrators and they have a skill set. Right. Because in the, it's sort of like they had to create a world where like, in what line of work or criminal act would uh, older experience matter, right? Yeah. So it's not like 
you know, if Ocean's Eleven, when they're trying to do the, you know, the perfect social media campaign, no, it's not that. It's about an old-fashioned heist, and there's a way you do things, and experience can only help, right? Yeah. And it, that's interesting, because we have a lot of movies in our queue that are, are about, like, crime and heists, and they, for some reason, older characters seem to figure prominently in these. Yeah, they're they're viable members of the team, and they're not talked down to. Right. which is my problem with a lot of films that have older characters who are failing either physically or mentally they're failing and it's up to the young people to f- help them figure out what to do whereas cocoon remember cocoon that's another one we should revisit absolutely um, all those older characters don don amici and Wow. I mean, that was amazing. And they were all in this old folks home. And then Steve Gutenberg, I think, was in that. He was the young guy. Oh, good. And then aliens. So, I, you know, that's kind of why I want to do this, because I feel like that we need that perspective on media. And I feel like there's like a slight sea change happening, because I think, you know, like I'm just catching up with only murders in the building. And Downton Abbey was a big hit. I, I feel like TV is bravely going where movies are fear to tread. Yeah. At least for now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the whole point. Well, not the whole point behind Old Ladies Find Money. Originally, it was supposed to just be about what would happen if women found the money. I'd never seen a movie where it was women who were in charge of the money, who either found it or stole it or won it in a lottery. It's usually guys and they usually kind of blow it. They buy a Corvette. Like Simple Plan or whatever, that one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So me and my girlfriends were just, you know, what would happen if women, if it happened with women? And then there you go. I was tasked with writing the damn thing. Awesome. (laughs) And yeah, so older women, powerful, smart, don't count them out. Yeah, get shit done, right? Come on up and see me sometime.